Hello, and welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theatre Company podcast series. Hi, this is Jerome Davis, and this is Burning Coal Theatre Company's Into the Fire, the podcast series on all things theatrical. Today's guest is Claire Bailey, the playwright of the play Container. Claire, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. We're sitting here in uh, your uh, apartment, uh, your house in uh, Finsbury Park, uh, London, and um, we uh, are getting ready to produce your new play, The Container, uh, mm. or it's actually not a new play, it's a play that uh, is new to us, mm-hmm. and this will not be an American premiere, is that correct? That's or, correct, actually, It's yeah. been done a couple of times in the yeah. US. Yeah. Uh, it was done in uh, a Baltimore center space um, a few years ago, uh-huh. and I think possibly also some other, mm, you know, college productions uh-huh. and things. But sure. but this is a second kind of pro- professional production. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, we were uh, delighted to have it, um, Claire. Let's start off talking a little bit about you, if you mm-hmm. don't mind. You're uh, obviously uh, English by birth. Uh, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about your early life and how you got interested in theatre and particularly in playwriting? Gosh, well, um, yes, I guess I, as a, that's a really interesting question. It sort of was always there, I suppose. Uh My dad was very keen on theatre and used to take me um, to see productions. I remember going to see I think probably one of the first shows I ever saw was an open-air Shakespeare uh, performed in a garden. Possibly, I was okay. I was born in Oxford. My dad was an academic um, at Oxford. At Oxford, yeah. yeah, in English Lit, and um, okay. he um, did, was very involved in theatre uh, there. In fact, funnily enough, he um, he he produced some student plays and used to then have some professionals in including Maggie Smith he gave Maggie Smith her first ever job oh, no kidding, <laughs> no wow. kidding. That's that was a long time ago sure. um, so then I went to university and in fact I studied um, literature um, but I did I tried you know I wanted to do lots of acting and I just wasn't that wasn't my thing but I wanted to be in I loved being in the rehearsal room and I loved being around theatre people and after I when I was there I was involved in a feminist theatre company which was a sort of co- collective and we devised our own work and I suddenly realised that maybe I could rather than acting I could I could write mm-hmm. um, and that's how it began uh, I was also when I left university the job that I ended up doing was again because I was totally drawn to the theatre uh, and I wanted to write but I wasn't yet I didn't yet know that you could sort of be a playwright you know and have that as a job so yeah. I was a theatre critic um, and I used to you know I used to started off freelancing I'd just go to the theatre and write reviews on spec and send them to pet newspapers and then that built up and I actually got a job and I ended up um you know, writing for the independent newspaper and other mm. other newspapers. So by then you had moved into London. So by then I was in London. Mm. Yes, that's right. Um, and yeah, so then I was seeing loads and loads and loads of theatre, and also having access. So I would do interviews with writers and directors, and right. that was in a funny way my that just fed my interest and and fascination for it. And then I w- was starting quietly uh, on the sort of 
you know, sort of almost secretly to write plays <laughs> and have them, I started to get them, have readings of them with small companies. Um, and then I realized that I, that's what I really wanted to do. So at that point I quit my job and I signed on to David Edgar's MA in playwriting. At um, the University of Birmingham. At the University of Birmingham, yeah. yeah. And I remember very strongly that, you know, I sent my application, it was all very nerve wracking and would I get in or not? And then I got the letter saying, and the letter said, dear playwright, you know, we're pleased to you know, invite <laughs> you in. And, and he said, he always used to say that it was a, a strategy really that they would always refer to us as playwrights yeah. so that we, the beginning of having that belief in yourself really as a yeah. writer which is if, really if important it's in, uh, if it's on letterhead uh, then it, uh, <laughs> it must be, yeah. it must must be, be true. true yeah exactly. absolutely and yeah. then uh, so having uh, progressed through that course what's the next step for a for a young uh, beginning playwright yeah well we um during that year uh, at birmingham i wrote my first play well actually it was my second play but it was my first sort of um proper play I'd say and so then it was a question of getting that produced and I found a lovely director um, and we produced that play and it got um, very good reviews in London, in London. Oh. yeah in a tiny pub theatre which no longer exists sadly um, but it was yeah that was very thrilling and that probably was oh my goodness that was I can't remember what year that would have been, but I think it might have been 1995, uh -huh. so a very long time ago. That was right in the middle of the In Your Face uh, movement. Yes, uh, it was. Uh, Sarah Kane and uh, Mark Ravenhill and those people. Did you uh, feel uh, drawn toward that style of writing? Or? Well, Sarah Kane was on the same MA that I was mm -hmm. doing in Birmingham, uh, so she was a friend. Um, and it was very funny. I mean, it, I mean, she was much younger than I was in. I was just thirty at that point. She was twenty-one, um, and so I felt that what she was doing uh, was very, very different. And I, you know, she was clearly an outstandingly uh, skillful dramatist. You know, she had something from the every exercise that she did in class was just kind of pff, stunning. Um, but it wasn't what I was in. You know, it wasn't what I. No, I wasn't. And I, and I, in fact, it was a diff. It was. It was difficult for us, for for those of us writers who weren't doing that kind of work. To get, get anything yeah, yeah, it sure. was, it was, sure, absolutely. And we felt a bit, oh, you know, there, there was definitely that feeling of like, oh, we're 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 kind of the old guard, you know, already, and um, right. right at the beginning of our career. So that was that was interesting and dif difficult. Mm -hmm. um, but but there's always you know room for that's the great thing if the theatre culture is big enough it can accommodate different right. different styles of, of work you know mm -hmm. um and I really it was great because I knowing Sarah was meant that you could I really understood what she was doing and I really respected her work and what you know she, she was clearly hugely talented so it was right. wonderful that she got such Acclaim, although not that it helped her personally, you know. In her. I was going to say, did, did she know that she was talented? Did she? Yeah, understand? I think she absolutely did. You know, I think she knew that she was. I mean, not not to, that's not to say that she wasn't insecure like everybody is and humble, but she kind of had a burning, uh, a determination and a kind of clarity about her own approach, mm -hmm. um, and it was completely unshakable. 
and you know I'm sure David Edgar has you know it's no secret that he and she clashed quite <laughs> quite a lot during yeah. those years yeah. although it was sort of amicable um, but she I would was imagine whoever the teacher was then that would have been the case yeah with her. she was fairly provocative and right. you know that was it was fantastic to be yeah. on the course with her. So you you finished and you had your first play done and uh, yep. critics came to see it? Yeah, yeah. they did mm -hmm. and I was very lucky and I got great reviews from that actually. Mm -hmm. um, what was the play? Well, that's interesting because it's pertinent in a way to the container. It was a story about a Kurdish um, guy who is uh, living in London and waiting to get a uh, refugee status mm -hmm. and he meets the young a young woman who is working as a sort of a trainee solicitor uh, and is representing him and at the end of the story uh, well she fails to secure him refugee status mm -hmm. and he is uh, repatriated to Turkey okay. to an uncertain fate and uh, she is devastated by her failure and kills herself and the story the play tells the story of her sister tracing her last journey um, so and the reason so I was my very first play was interested in the, this question of refugees and I think that was because when I left university a lot of my friends who were kind of starting out in in the arts having to pay their way find other jobs to to you know pay the bills were working at that time there were a lot of uh, solicitors who were doing legal aid work for um, people who were seeking asylum right. and they needed sort of unqualified people as observers in those initial uh, interviews at the airport so right. you know they people would arrive at the airport um, claim asylum and then they'd the law was that you'd have to have an, a legal observer in there so I had very close friends who were doing that work all right. the time so I was really aware that this was something that was happening under our noses every day. Is that something that lawyers uh, are participating in, or do you have to be a lawyer? In no, well, they, they, the, the, the actual observers were untrained, you know, they were just uh -huh. like students, really. But all they had to do was take extensive notes of what happened in that um, and make sure there was a representative. Um, and of course, they were all, they were trained, so they knew what how to sort of protect their clients and then they would um, but it was it really was an amazing insight early on for me into what was going on right. so the the, the pub theater uh, that that produces play what was the name of it was called the new grove theater uh -huh. and uh, what, how did you uh, land that uh, slot in their season uh, did, did you just submit it blindly or did you have an agent by then how did that oh happen? did i have an agent at that point well i remember i met awful I can't quite remember how I met the the director was called Shabnam Shabazi and she was of Iranian her she was her family she was born in Iran and came over to this country after you know the, 1979 um, I can't remember how we met but we worked together on that and she took care of all the production so I guess we were we were part of a sort of new writing season where three new plays were premiered um, was that subject matter something particularly uh, interesting to her or yeah I think it was yes yeah. definitely definitely yeah that's fascinating and, mm. and you you know Birmingham at the time that you were there I imagine was was beginning to see a big influx of 
Muslim uh, population, uh, Muslim population, and you now live in Finsbury Park, which is yeah. kind of the iconic uh, <laughs> Muslim mosque in yeah. in London, and I imagine a large uh, population here as well. Is that a coincidence? Um, it is a coincidence, I guess. Um, you know, I moved to uh, when we were looking with my you know my partner and I were looking for somewhere to live mm. Finsbury Park was where we could afford <laughs> yes. and yeah and we were living here and bringing up little children mm -hmm. all through the era of Abu Hamza being the imam at the mosque which is on our road right. um, and we were you know I used to literally walk past him when there was after the period when he was ejected from the mosque he used to preach in the street outside mm -hmm. and um, we used to sort of walk past that and funnily enough I had a very good friend who had spent a lot of time in Palestine working uh, with the Palestinians mm -hmm. and she kind of she kind of said oh Abu Hamza he's not serious you know he's just a laughing stock really so we didn't take it very seriously um, until we realized that actually he was a bit more serious than we realized yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that stuff was going on there which was you know yeah later would show up in the news in, yeah. in a big way yeah and so um so the first uh, production has has happened in mm. london and and um, the reviews are good and um, and what's the next step what happens after that is it back to square one uh, yes time? i think that's right i think i was approached then by an, a theater director called andy lavender um who's now a, an academic actually and he said he wanted to do a devised play. Mm -hmm. And I was, have from my time as a theatre critic, I was very interested in the work of Robert Lepage, the Canadian. Sure. Um, and I was very interested in devising and sort of experimental forms of writing. So Andy Lavender and I then did two shows together which were completely devised. So we had a company of actors and we had a vague subject area that we were interested in um, and then we spent six weeks in the rehearsal room starting from nothing and I was sort of um, I my job was then to take the material we had created and shape it into a play yeah. so we had two mm -hmm. plays then which were again they were you know they were quite out there but they were you know they did okay they got produced. They got uh, produced at the Young Vic, and they were quite, they were successful actually. Yeah. You know, they were great, um, and I loved doing that. I loved working in that way. This is when David Land was uh, running the Young Vic. Um, goodness, yes, that's right. I think that's right. He was there for quite a he while. He was there for yeah. quite a while, yeah. and he. Um, so so we did those two, um, but that was the difficulty with that was of course it's hard then to commission writers to do fully devised plays because yeah. um, because you don't know what you're going to get so I it was hard to get a commission but then I started working with another company of actors and we did another play called The Woman Who Swallowed a Pin which um, was again a devised show um, and it was performed sort of in promenade at the Southwark Playhouse mm. in a sort of all around the the building so that the audience was moving from scene to scene yeah. um, and that was also a, it was you know very well received um, and um, I loved I really loved that play I thought it had a kind of really beautiful kind of evocative kind of um, 
it was a lovely experience for the audience mm -hmm. to walk around and come across these scenes. Was it about the history of the building? It sort of was. Yeah. Yes, it was yeah. about a, a fa uh, it was about six siblings who are orphaned after the First World War in 1919 and scattered, and then the sort of story of the play is one of them is trying to find all her siblings in oh, later life. I see. Yeah. Anne Bogart did something like that when she took over Trinity Repertory Company in Providence in the early 1990s. The first thing she did when she uh, began her first season there was a progressive uh, journey through the building oh. where different scenes took place in different uh, parts of the building. and. Um, and their board of directors didn't didn't like that very much. And uh, after one year, she was gone. Oh. Uh, but uh, you know, one was left with the question: What did they expect the, to get from Anne Bogart? Yeah. You know, that's what she does. And so, but I wonder, um, you know, when when a when a single playwright uh, uh, or even a playwriting team writes a play mm. uh, and has it produced at a theater, then other theaters feel that they can take ownership of that play to some degree and produce it themselves and, and make it part of theirs. Does that happen with devised pieces? Because I don't see it happening no, very much. No, it doesn't. And the other cru crucial thing actually is about getting published. Yeah. Uh, so those plays weren't published, although mm -hmm. I did have an agent at that time. But it, they, were, they were not mainstream enough, I think. I, I think they were considered to be too experimental yeah. um, and, uh, and too... I think it's wrong. I think I think sp especially the woman who swallowed a pin um, could have been produced again. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, the first play, The Shift, which was the first devised one with Andy Lavender, that was about um, women in um, 1948, which was the beginning of the end of the war and the beginning of the National Health Service yes. and welfare state, yeah. and 1997, which was Blair getting into power. So it was sort of, it had a political, you know... It covered that uh, it covered 40, that. approximately 50 year period. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so, but um, yes, I think getting published is the key thing. And right. it wasn't until I was then, a pro I sent that first play, Northern Lights, which was about the f asylum, the guy who was trying to get asylum in the UK and was rejected. Um, I sent that play to Nicholas Kent, who at that point was running the Tricycle yes. Theatre. Yeah. Um, and he and he loved it. And he then commissioned me to write a play. He said, you know, asylum uh, and migration, these are the great subjects of our time. You've got to write a play set in a container. Mm. Uh, oh, he gave, you the he idea gave me the idea. Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah. Um, so, and that was just such a, it was such a brilliant idea. So I then wrote the play, The Container, which, um, you know. The, uh, the piece that we're uh, working on next year that we might uh, get, get a 10 minute play from you uh, oh, yes. about is, uh, is modeled after his uh, work there at the Tricycle with uh, the great game Afghanistan, uh, yes. that series of plays that I think David uh, Edgar contributed to. Yes. Um, and uh, then he had a couple of others like that as well. Sorry. Um, we can stop. No, I'm just going to ignore it because it's okay. quite likely to be, uh, unless it's my mother who is 93. Take, take Why don't you take the call? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually just one of those nuisance calls. So <laughs> <it's fine>. Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get those all the time. Well timed. Yeah. Yeah.
okay, so we're, so we're getting close to wrapping up. Uh, so, player, that's uh, that's fascinating. And so, so s some of the plays that you've uh, had produced have have been uh, published, and some haven't. And the thing that seems to differentiate one from the other is the the devised pieces or the more experimental pieces are harder to get published. <laughs> sorry, this is my. I just go and. <laughs> Oh, sorry, I'm just doing a little interview here with Jerry, who's from Burning College, who's probably my teenage son. Uh, <laughs> well, not teenage, actually, he's 22. Yes. Okay. Um, so anyway, um, so so I, I wonder, uh, does that push you in the direction of, of conforming? You know, does that make you feel like, gosh, I, I really need to get these plays published, and so I'm going to move in that direction more? Yes, for a while I think it did, and I think... Um, well, even a container took a long time to be produced because Nick Kent didn't produce it in the end. Right. Um, and in fact, the interesting thing about that was that he commissioned it to be performed on stage. I see. And then he rejected it and I was like, oh, what, how am I going to get this play performed? And then we had the idea uh, to do it in a container. Right. And that was, so that was again the experimental side of it, right. um, which was actually the, the point the thing that makes it really successful I think, I think so, yeah. Yeah. yeah so um, so at each stage I I try and be conventional if mm. I can and then I ca I've actually can't <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so yes I think it I do my best but I just am interested in things that don't really conform right. to that to those kind of well, it's uh, it's, the, it's ultimately the right way for it because uh, history is long and, and yeah. ultimately uh, swings toward the quality <laughs> as opposed to commerce. I think, yeah. uh, and so I think that's a very good judgment on your part. Can we talk mm. just a little bit about the container? Yeah. Uh, you you eventually had it produced at the Young Vic, uh, I yeah. believe, again uh, with David Land. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, tell me about that process. Uh, did you have a sense of? Uh, that, that producing it inside a container was going to be effective or was going to be meaningful meaningful for an audience? Yes, well, we really, we thought it was a great idea, but we were unsure what how it was going to work out. You know, it was, it was a very unknown thing. Yeah. And the director that we had, Tom Wright, who did the production that premiered in Edinburgh and then came to the Young Vic, mm -hmm. he sort of astounded the producers by saying I'm I'm only going to do this with um, um, what's the word sorry with torches the only light, light we're going to have yeah. is is, yeah. is torches yeah. um, so it's going to be very very dark in there yeah. and we're not going to use any sort of stage lighting um, but actually that was a brilliant call on his part because yeah. I think there was something about there was something about creating the Oh, my, um, we may take this section out. I don't know whether what you're going to do no, with yours. Uh, we're, we're interested in this. Yeah, very much. I think that's. I think we didn't. We thought it would be a great idea, but the the response we got from audiences in Edinburgh was way beyond what we expected. It was. It was. It had such a visceral effect on people, wow. and there was. Uh, I mean, it's it's obvious, really. But because because theatre is an empathic medium, art form, you you know the point of theatre is that you sit in the audience and you imagine yourself in someone else's shoes. Mm -hmm. But in this case, you are literally, you know, living something of the 
you know, a tiny, tiny fraction of what these people who are taking these huge risks and suffering incredible privations on these journeys and fear and uh, danger and grief and terrible compromises and decisions that they have to make the audience is having a tiny experience of that just in the moment when they come into an unfamiliar space they sit down they don't know what's going to happen and then the doors close behind them and and I think that has an amazingly powerful effect on people. Sure, sure. Um, and uh, just out of curiosity, the fire fire marshal didn't have any say about uh, lack of lighting in the space? Um, or, or oh, I think we probably did have to have an exit sign, yeah. but we, we designed it so that it was it was visible. Oh, I can't remember what we did about Maybe that. The, the audience had to turn around. Yes, we had it. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, that's very much in the direction we're thinking of going. Mm. So that's, I'm glad Is to it? hear. We're certainly yeah. not going to have much lighting in the space yeah. if, we, if we have anything beyond. Uh, yeah, you can cheat it. We cheated it with a little bit with those kind of slightly sort of torches that stand, lantern-y type sure. torches yeah. and things like that. Yeah, yeah that's right. Well, you could have more light at times and yes. less light at yes. times. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Um, what else uh, do you want to say about the play? Have you had it produced? It's your most produced play. It's my most it? produced play, yeah. Do you, have you found different um, things in the play with each production? Yeah, well, I think what's interesting, I think the main thing to say about it is that, my God, I wrote it in, you know, uh, 2006 or even five, I think. Mm. And at the time, you know, we thought the situation was bad. And the situation has just got worse and worse and worse right. to to an unbelievable degree, um, so that in a in the in, in the container um, in the play, you know, there's a question of whether they're in France or in Italy. Now in Italy, it's against the law for ordinary Italian citizens to help refugees, right. you know, and people who are going out on boats and rescuing people from the Mediterranean mm. are being put in prison. You yeah, know. you're seeing that in the U.S. too. There's a really? young man who in the Southwest who was going out and bringing food to uh, immigrants coming across the border has, who's been charged with a crime. Wow, I mean, yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so the situation is just getting worse. Um, that's one thing. Um, the, there's a funny, there's one line in the play um, at the beginning about the, where, which um, Fatima says, you know, don't worry, the British are good people and, you know, look at the government. And at the time it was a sort of joke about the fact that, you know, half of them are Jews and half of them are Scottish because that was what the Blair government was a little bit like. Um, that's not so true anymore. But what I think is noticeable about our government now, um, under Boris Johnson, is that a lot he made a point of appointing um, people to the cabinet who are themselves of immigrant origin, and yet their attitudes to migration are even harsher than you know. So. Well. Yeah, mm. the, the the notion of uh, I mean we've all we've all done that right we all get mm -hmm. somewhere and then feel comfortable there and then want to close the door behind us so yeah. the notion that people of a particular ethnicity or experience would not behave that way is kind of a racist idea yes right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah right okay and, yeah uh, that's so, true so that doesn't surprise me very much <laughs> I'm um, I'm interested in the uh, just to wrap up, uh, mm. the three different um, 
peoples represented in the container mm. are from Somalia, Afghanistan, and the Tur Turkish peoples in uh, the the Kurds in uh, southern Turkey along the mountain range, I guess. So, yeah. And uh, in all three of those cases, their countries are ravished by war and and by the presence of. of Western uh, military operations, uh, yes. I think, and I I don't think that's a coincidence. Am I on onto the right track? Yes, now? absolutely. I mean, in in all honesty, I when I was writing this play, I did a huge amount of research, um, and I did a lot of interviews with people, and that the it seemed to me at that time that these were the countries that um, were most um, the, the citizens were coming most to this country, fleeing those wars, and those, of course, those stories touched me very much. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, of course, there is a complete correlation between, you know, this country's imperialism. In, yeah, uh, yeah, yes, absolutely. And, and, uh, and your your country takes a sec takes a back seat to my country, and wow. where that's concerned, uh, barely a back seat. I mean, we have, yeah. I mean, we had an empire. We had a massive empire, and sure. you know, it's um, yeah. yes. And now we're we're you know we're seeing the result of it, the and consequences. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But I suppose also now there is an additional factor of global warming and climate change, which is clearly driving. Uh, the migration issue right. as well. Water shortages uh, are starting to happen in mm. places where the infrastructure has not been developed and one has a sense that the development of that infrastructure would cost far less than the occupancy yes. of the country by military forces yes. and yet uh, we continue to spend our money in that direction yes. because the people in power are connected to the military industrial complex yes. uh, to borrow from uh, President Eisenhower's uh, 60, 70-year-old uh, warning. Yes. Um, so, um, so Claire, what else mm. do you want to say about the container before we wrap up? Is there anything else um, that you'd like to, to talk about uh, as we prepare to present the second professional production yeah. in the US? Well, I think it's really interesting um, seeing, I don't know, it's, just, it's very interesting to me to see that play, which is written in a very European context, plonked down into your context, uh -huh. you know, which is different and yet there are clear resonances. Um, uh, the, the sort of, the backstories of, of the people might be different, but, yeah. the, but the essence of it is the same. Right. Um, so I think that's fascinating. Um, it's great, it's very exciting to me that it is being done in a container, you know, and in fact, as far as I'm aware, it's never not been performed inside a container because I think that is, huge part of it and I'm very interested yeah I'm interested to see how it goes, to see how it goes. Yeah. yeah we wanted to do it because we felt like that arm's length distance might allow people in the community who maybe haven't figured out which side of the position they're on yet right might uh, be able to accept the input a little bit more readily yes. so we'll see if that works uh, who knows yeah. uh, well I, I'm interested also to know whether you think in Raleigh and around and the potential audiences, you know, what is the attitude to, mm -hmm. you know, people coming into your country? You know, are people sympathetic, mm -hmm. hostile? Well, it's it's one of those uh, yes, but not in my backyard uh, things, you know. I yeah. think uh, um, that's uh, f fairly common across the board. And, and so 
the people who do support those communities uh, are uh, very generous in spirit mm -hmm. uh, and um, and often generous in practice as well but but not always so and those are the ones I think that will come to see this play so mm -hmm. I do think it has the potential for having an impact yeah yeah on them. what's next for you Claire uh, so next I have a reading of my play which is called Family Trees which will be at the Bolton Octagon Theatre in November uh -huh. and that's a multi-generational play about women really women sort of finding uh, enfranchisement and self-determination and, uh, and two generations so how the sort of first wave of of feminists how that their stories impact on their daughters stories um, and I have written another play um, which was which was produced earlier this summer which is a sort of future it's a it's set in the future in this country in the aftermath of a civil war in London uh, that could never happen but, and uh, <laughs> that again that's one of those plays that when I was writing it it's all seemed very imaginative and then right. stuff starts ha keeps happening and um, yeah. it feels a bit more yeah. Possible, yeah, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Mm. yeah, we have similar thoughts uh, about it in our country as well. Uh, yes. Claire, it is uh, lovely, lovely to, to be here in your in your beautiful home, and um, thank you for allowing us here, oh. and thank you for uh, for this great play that we're very much excited about producing our second uh, Claire Bailey play <laughs> at Burning Gold. So, great. Uh, thanks so much oh. for joining us. Oh, it's been a pleasure, and I'm so happy that the container is going to see the light of day in, in so your life. So to speak. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Very good. Okay, Take thank care. Thank you for listening. Our production of Claire Bailey's The Container will run from Thursday, October 10th through Sunday, October 27th. To purchase tickets or for more information, visit our website at burningcoal.org or give us a call at 919-834-4001.